tablet, however you look at the Bible, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I think if you can, it's not always possible, of course, but if you can, it's really helpful to have it in front of you. It means that you can check that what you're hearing is from God and not from me, because it's written in his word. So we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I'm really going to be talking about verses 11 to 16 today, but we're going to read from verse 1 to get a bit of context. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And this is our passage for today, beginning at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Why don't we pray for the Lord's help as we come to his word? Holy Spirit of God, you inspired these words to be written down. And Holy Spirit of God, you have preserved these words for us through 2,000 years almost. Holy Spirit of God, you helped translators put them into languages we can understand. English and, and Spanish and German and Italian and Swedish and, and every other language that's represented here. And Holy Spirit of God, we now need you to be at work. For these are just words on a page. They mean nothing unless you breathe life into them and into us. So we pray for your help. We are nothing without you. And we need your help today to understand and to put into practice, to believe what we read. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for showing us Jesus. 
Thank you for helping us to worship him this morning. Now, as he speaks to us, please may we be alive to what he has to say. And we pray in his name. Amen. What are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? And I mean, not just what are you doing in Mallorca? You've all got an interesting story, perhaps, of why you're here. Some of you were born here. Some of you work here. Some of you just like the sun here. All kinds of different reasons why you're here. I've heard some of those already this morning. I don't just mean that. I, I don't just mean what's brought you to this part of the island. I mean, what are you doing here right now? This morning, five minutes to 12 o'clock on a Sunday. What are you doing here? Perhaps, perhaps you're here because it's just habit. Maybe like me, um, I became a Christian when I was 12 from a completely non-Christian background, completely non-Christian family. I became a Christian and every Sunday since then, pretty much that I've been able, I've gone to church. It becomes a habit. And, and maybe like me, you're here because it's, it's a habit. It's, it's just what you do on a Sunday. You get up, you go to church. Maybe you're here because you're on a rotor. <laughs> There's some job that you've got to do today. You're in the worship band or you're serving coffee or helping with a tech or whatever it may be. You're on a rotor and that's why you're here. You saw your name come up. You thought, I better be there today. M maybe you're here, and this might be true for some people, out of a sense of guilt. You're not quite sure you can really kind of put your finger on it. But if you weren't here, you just feel this weight bearing down on you. And so you're here to try and lift the, lift the guilt. Maybe you're here because you're just interested, just intrigued. What is this Christianity all about? What is Jesus all about? You thought Christianity was dead and, and buried, left behind. And here, look at all these people who are singing praises to God and seem to have life and joy. You're just intrigued by it, maybe. Uh, maybe you want to grow. Maybe you've been a Christian many years or just a few years and you really want to grow and you know that, that coming along to church, that's a place where you kind of get a big boost. Maybe that's what this is. Now, you may have one or other of those motives or a combination of them, all kind of joined together. Good and bad motives all mixed up. But this is what I want to tell you this morning. Spake come as a shock. None of those is why God wants you here. None of those is why God wants you here. Not primarily. No. He's doing something bigger than you can imagine. I like big things. I like big views. I like big mountains. I like big football scores big stadiums, all those kinds of things. I like big things. God is doing something bigger than you can possibly imagine. And the great news in Ephesians is that we are not in the dark. You know, so many people kind of go through life in the dark, wondering what it is that life is about, wondering perhaps if they're Christians, what is God's purpose for them? Well, to a great extent, God doesn't leave us in the dark. 
One of the great blessings of being a Christian is that God, who is mighty and powerful and above all things, shows us what he's doing. Back in, you don't need to turn to this, but in Ephesians chapter 1, back in Ephesians chapter 1, this is what uh, God says about what it means to be in Christ, to be a Christian. He says this in verse 8, 9, 10 of chapter 1, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And here's his plan, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The rest of Ephesians, by the way, is all about how that plan unfolds, how God is bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And we're part of that. The question is not so much, what are you doing here? The question really is, what is God doing here? And the answer is, he's bringing all things together under Christ Jesus. And you and I, if we're Christians, are part of that today. What is he doing? He is building. He is bringing unity. He is building his body. There's another way of describing it. We read that in our passage. He is building his body, the church. Listen again to these last two verses. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Or back in verse 13, we are being built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is God doing here today? He is filling us up with Christ. He is making us mature in Christ. Back in chapter one, it's explained this way. We are becoming the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's Jesus who fills everything in every way. But we as the church are becoming the fullness of him. We are being filled up with Jesus. And friends, that is the biggest thing in the world. You think of, of how mighty and powerful Jesus is, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. What a God we have. What is God doing? We are being filled up with him together, built up into him together. What are you doing here today? Well, whether you realize it or not, you are something a part of something which is almost beyond words, almost indescribable. In fact, any words you might try and find to, to use to describe what God is doing, filling us up with Christ, it's almost as though the, the words are not enough. I'm going to the football tonight. I wanted to go and see a football match with Jonathan. So we're going to see the football, aren't we? And um, we're going to see uh, Mallorca, who are not doing very well. 17th? Something like that. And they're going to play... Uh, who are they going to play? Okay, I'm glad that you said that and not me. They are, they are seventh in the league. I'm not expecting very much. Might be surprised, 
Seventh against 17th. But imagine if Mallorca won. Imagine the joy. We're sitting in the away end, so we have to contain our joy. We have to pretend we don't really mind who wins. But imagine the joy there would be if an unexpected win occurred. Imagine the celebrations and the cheering and the songs and everything else. And now multiply that by a million times a million. That is the wonder and the enormity, the joy of what God is doing here. Sometimes people might ask us, so why are you going to church? We might say, well, it's because this reason and that reason. It's really the wrong question. Why does God want us to be here? Because he's doing the biggest thing in the world today. That's right. He is doing the biggest thing in the world today. That's what it says back in chapter one. His plan for the universe is to bring all things together in Christ, to fill all things up with Christ. And so as we meet together in this, this building, which is kind of in, in, a, in, a, in worldly terms, you know, it's, it's a nice building. Sorry, don't get me wrong. But, you know, compared to some of the buildings in the world, nothing special it's functional you know it works doesn't it but it's just a place on an island in a sea in europe in the world in the universe but what god is doing here is the biggest thing in the world he is filling us up with christ and friends if you're here today and you're not a christian Perhaps you are intrigued. Perhaps someone has brought you along. I want to invite you to be part of the biggest thing in the world. Not just to observe it, not just to see it. You know, if, if by some miracle there's a, an amazing match this evening and the underdogs, the, the, the bottom team win, I'll just be observing it. I'll be able to share in some of the joy, but I, I wasn't on the pitch didn't score the winning goal. I, I'm inviting you today, if you're not yet a Christian, come and chat to me afterwards. Come and talk to Pastor Raf. What an invitation that is to be part of the biggest thing in the universe. And, and will you notice with me, if you look at verse 13, and by the way, I put the passage up on the screen, just helps to see it. it's quite a complicated passage. So sometimes it just helps to have it in front of you. And I hope that across those four columns, um, most of you will be able to see a language you can, you can read. And we start with English and then there's Spanish and German and Italian. So I've covered quite a few bases. I couldn't fit any more columns on, I'm afraid. So we had to stop there. But if you just have a look down, look at verse 13 of chapter 4 until we all reach unity in the faith, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you see how maturity and unity go together? Do you see that? We don't often think that way, do we? We, we think about maturity as being a personal thing about us growing up in the Lord. And it's not wrong to do that. We're, we're evangelicals. And so we believe in personal faith. I, I don't get saved by the faith of my parents. I don't get saved by the faith of anybody else. I get saved when I 
confess that Jesus is Lord. I get saved when the grace of God comes to me. There's a lot of that in Ephesians, very famously. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Hear that passage? But, verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Each person who is a Christian has that as a personal testimony. That at some moment, maybe that you can remember, maybe that you can't, but at some moment, I know that Jesus came to me. So that I can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer because of what he's done for me. I believe, I repent. Every Christian has that testimony, it's personal. But the Christian life is not personal. Maturity, look in the passage, goes together with unity until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Let me put it this way, we are saved to be together. And that is part of what God is doing. If God, his great plan in the universe is to bring all things together under Christ, it must be the case that we are saved to be together. There is no such thing as a Christian on their own. Now, there might be some circumstances where that has to be the case. Perhaps you are saved and you live in a, a I don't know, in a Muslim-majority country, it's very dangerous for you. Perhaps you've heard something on the radio. Perhaps you've had a vision. Something's happened to you. You've become a Christian. You can't tell anybody about it. You might lose your life. You don't know any other Christians. So there are some very rare, unusual circumstances where Christians are just on their own. But that is not the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is lived together. It's very interesting in Ephesians, I just read from chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, which is a very famous part of Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved. Most Christians who have been Christians for a few years know that verse. And straight after that, Paul is at pains to tell these Christians in Ephesus how they have to get on, how every dividing wall that exists between them has been broken down and they've been brought together in the gospel. And he gets into chapter 3 and he says, that's the way that God's wisdom is displayed in the world. You might say, well, how is God's wisdom displayed in the world? Is it miracles? Is it signs? Is it works of service? No, Paul says primarily the way that God's wisdom is displayed, not in the world only, but in the universe, is as people from different backgrounds come together in Christ. So extraordinarily, chapter 3, verse 10 his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be name, known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In other words, as we meet together here, um, all looking a bit like, um, maybe we could have done it with a bit extra in time in bed this morning or something like that, but as we meet together here, people from different nationalities, people from different backgrounds, people of different ages, people who support different soccer teams, maybe, all these different kinds of backgrounds that we bring as we walk in the door as Christians together and as we share together we are declaring in the heavenly realms not just on earth that God is wise and his plan is being fulfilled isn't that amazing you can't do that at home with YouTube you can have a nice time at home with YouTube 
singing songs and, and that's a good thing to do and, and, and listening to sermons maybe that's a good thing to do but it's as you walk through the door and you say oh hello Raph nice to see you and you have a hug from different places from different backgrounds it's at that moment that moment that God's wisdom is being displayed in the universe that God's great plan is unfolding so friends, if that is God's plan, shouldn't it be our greatest desire to pursue that? Shouldn't that be our greatest longing? Not just for yourself, but the person sitting next to you and the person sitting behind you and the person sitting over the other side, perhaps that you don't know so well. We're so, we are so individualistic, aren't we, as a culture? We're so individualistic. The church is kicking against that. God's plan is kicking against that. He has brought us together to be together, to grow together. Imagine what that could mean. Imagine what that means for getting up on a Sunday morning. Oh, I'm going to church. Imagine if you get up on Sunday morning and say, I am going to declare to Satan and all the demons that God's plan is working. That's a different thing to say. You should get out of bed, isn't it? <laughs> Suddenly, that just brings everything up a level. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. As we sing together, as we pray together, as we chant together, as we learn together, that is what we are doing. But then the million-dollar question, or I should say the million-euro question, is how is it going to happen? And the passage really is telling us how that's going to happen. I want to know, don't you? Let's have a look and see how it's going to happen. And it all begins in verse 11. God tells us how his plan is going to work out. And it begins in this way, with Jesus and the gifts that he gives. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. I don't know about you, but I love buying gifts. Some people love receiving gifts. I don't mind receiving a gift. Um, you can talk to me afterwards. If you want to pass on a gift to me, that's fine. But I, I do like getting gifts. I love researching and looking for kind of slightly unusual gifts, things perhaps people might not expect, but they will appreciate. I love doing that. Um, Raf said we've just spent 40 years together, Celia and I. Um, and it's not quite a wedding anniversary because it's just when we started dating 40 years ago. But I thought 40 years, that's a significant moment. I'm going to search for a gift. So I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed looking for a gift. And Celia, my wife, it was her birthday a couple of weeks ago. Again, I just I like looking for things, finding things perhaps that are unexpected and unusual. I love giving gifts. But however much I love giving gifts, there is one who loves giving gifts more than me. And that is Jesus himself. He gives gifts to his people. Isn't that great? So Christ himself gave, and here they are, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. I think, by the way, um, the way, I won't bore you with it all, but the way that the, the Greek, which is the language the New Testament is written in, the way that it's phrased, I think the pastors and teachers, that's one kind of one job, if you like. So there are four jobs here, I think, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, let's call them those four. Now, what are these gifts? What are these gifts? 
Well, um, we could have a lot of debate, and you can come and debate with me afterwards if you really want, about apostles and prophets. But in Ephesians, and that's where we are, remember, in Ephesians, the apostles and prophets are specific people that are being referred to. And you can see that back in chapter 2, verse 20. So chapter 2, verse 19, let's read from there. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So in Ephesians, perhaps not elsewhere in the New Testament, but here in Ephesians, the apostles and prophets are, they seem to be some sort of foundation on which the church is built, held together with Jesus himself. And it seems to me that when you think about who the apostles and prophets are, that this is nothing else than the, the word of God. The apostles and prophets, the apostles are those who were with Jesus, the prophets who were those who spoke about Jesus and wrote those things down, brought them to the, to the people of God. So I think the apostles and the prophets here in Ephesians are essentially those who have given us the Bible. It is the foundation of all that happens. Christ Jesus holds it all together as the chief cornerstone. The Bible, the word of God is about him. The apostles and the prophets then, the gifts that Jesus gave to the church are gifts so that we could have the word of God. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. That's why I'm really encouraged. I'm going to get my phone out. Don't normally do this in a sermon. But I'm really encouraged when I go to the Santa Ponza Community Church website. It says, welcome. See that? Welcome. Who are we? Good question. Although you might like to write now, what are we doing here? But anyway, who are we? We are a community that firmly believes in God's word. Top marks. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We are enjoying the gift that Jesus has given us. We are building on the foundation of God's word. The, the evangelists then and the pastors and teachers link to that. I, I think the evangelists here, they're the equivalent of apostles back in the day. They're the ones who are breaking the new ground, going where no one else is going. The pastors and teachers are those who are speaking the word of God to God's people primarily, I think. So the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers are taking the word of God and bringing it to people. The apostles and the prophets lay down the foundation of the word of God. The evangelists and the pastor teachers bring the word of God to others. Jesus loves to give gifts. And he's given us a very precious gift so that we might be what he wants us to be. So that we might be built up together. So that we might be filled with all the fullness of Christ. And that is he's given us the word of God. When the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 bids farewell to the elders from Ephesus, the same place, he says to them as his parting words, now I commit you to God and the word of his grace. The word of his grace. That's what will cause us to be the people God wants us to be. Now, what do you do with a gift? Do you know what my mum taught me when I was little? Uh, my mum taught me you should always say thank you. Isn't that right? Someone gives you something. You don't just snatch it, do you? You know, a little child as a birthday gift and just snatches it away. You say, no, no, say thank you. You've got to say thank you. Go and say thank you to the person who gave it to you. 
And Christians, we, we are children of the Father. We're no different. When he gives us, through his Son, a precious gift, what do we say? We say, thank you. So actually, as Christians, we need to have thankful hearts for his word and for those who bring it to us. I can say this because I'm not the pastor here, but you should be thankful for those who minister the word of God to you. And not just thank them. Thank God for them. We should be thankful for those who first brought the word to us. All those years ago, perhaps, for some of us. You say thank you. And the other thing you do with a gift is you use it, if it's any good. We had some, um, we had some pretty rubbish wedding gifts. We, we were married 30, 33 years ago almost. And I can still remember the wedding gifts that were useless. Someone bought us an electric can opener. Now, I can see that if you work in a restaurant or in, in somewhere that, you know, where you're opening a lot of cans, electric can opener might be really helpful. But it had to be mounted on the wall and wired in. And frankly, if you put a can in an old-fashioned can opener, it's done. Well, you don't need an electric can opener, do you? So I, did we ever use it? I don't think we ever used it, did we? It just sat in a drawer and eventually it went out with all the other rubbish and nowadays, of course, you don't need them at all. You've got a little pull, haven't you, on top of the can? Well, that's a good question. We did say thank you. We did say thank you. It was Terry and Dennis, I think, wasn't it? It was Terry and Dennis. They've both gone now, so I can mention them by name. It was Terry and Dennis, and uh, they bought us an electric can opener. They th I think they thought it was the most wonderful gift ever, but we thought it was a bit useless. But here, here you go. Here's the point. Jesus does not give useless gifts, right? He's the creator of the world. He knows what we need. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we ask for it. Do you think he gives us gifts that are useless? Do you think he gives us gifts that we don't need? No. They are the most wonderful and beautiful gifts. The gift of his word in a language we can read, we can listen to, we can study. The gifts of those who explain and teach and bring the word to us so that we can be built up together friends use use them use those gifts that god has given but listen let's delve a bit deeper how do these gifts work look at verse 11 again up on the screen perhaps on your device so christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and so on. Do you see how verse 12 begins? In English, to. Um, German is the only other language really I know anything about. Sur, at beginning of verse 12, right? Um, Spanish is something similar, is there, Raf? Um, Italian, there we are. It's in Italian as well. You see, there's a purpose. God gives these gifts to us. Jesus gives these gifts to us so that. So that what? to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I wonder if we get this wrong sometimes. We, we think that these gifts that are given to the church are given to do the work. But do you notice what Paul is saying here? These gifts are given to the church to encourage us, to help us, to teach us, so that we do the work, so that we build one another up. The pastor-teacher 
whoever that may be, whether it's the, the pastor of the church or teacher in a small group or in a women's Bible study, whatever it may be, the pastor teacher is, is not the builder. You're the builders. That the teacher is, is encouraging us and helping us see how we can build one another up. Seems to me to be pretty clear here. Now, I, um, it's a bit more puzzling in which, in, in which way the evangelists equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. I, I take it, by the way, and I know some of you are involved in mission, um, but what that means is evangelists are not people who are just sent out and forgotten about. That's not what an evangelist is. An evangelist is a member of a church who himself or herself are building others up, building a team maybe, building a crew to be connected so that the church is reaching out. In that sense, an evangelist is not a kind of, I'm just on my own, I'm just doing this, this is the ministry God has given me. The evangelist is a, is a, is a, a key part of church, is blessed by the church and is encouraging others to go and reach out. Might have a ministry himself, I know some of you have got that might have a ministry herself but is also serving in the church to encourage others with that work of reaching out it's all about the church growing together you see now uh, how does this work how are people equipped for works of service i want to suggest to you there are two key ideas here one is grow up one is build up i think verses 14 to 16 really expand this and you get the first idea of growing up in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. So growing up is part of it. But also building up to go together. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So let's think about these two questions. How does the church grow up? How does the church build up? Because if the big thing that God is doing is joining us together, drawing us together, in Christ Jesus, filling us with Jesus, building us up in the fullness of Jesus, we want to know what part we have to play in that, don't we? We want to know how it's going to work. So how does the church grow up and how does the church build up? I, I don't know about you, but I don't really like being called a baby. I am 54, I'm almost 55, 55 next week, thank you. Happy birthday, yes. Um, but I... I don't really ever like being called a baby. Um, I'm quite shy. You might be surprised. I'm quite a shy guy. And um, I don't particularly like doing new things. I like regular things. I like things that I've done before. I like the familiarity. Raf knows this. Um, when we came back, and he said, oh, you could stay here. You could stay there. You could stay in this place. I said, can we just stay in the same place we stayed last year? And, uh, some people think that's, not, that's a bit boring and dull. For me, that's exciting. I like that sort of safety. And so sometimes in life, you just have to step out a bit, don't you? And Celia, who's a very good wife, says to me um, sometimes, in effect, don't be a baby. She doesn't quite use those words. She says to me, put your big boy pants on. That's how she kind of phrases it. And that's, that's good advice. Sometimes you just need to step out, don't you? Sometimes you need to be a bit braver than you would normally be and all of that. And it spurs me on. Now, what does a Christian baby do? 
a Christian who hasn't grown up. A Christian baby, look in verse 14, gets blown off course. It's not deliberate. It's just if you're not being careful, it's easy to be blown off course. We, um, we sat in, on, the, on the terrace just watching some boats yesterday come out from the harbour, some sailing boats, and you can sort of see them battling against the wind. It, and if you're sailors, you'll know this. It's easy to be blown off course, isn't it? It's a very easy thing. It's not, it's not necessarily willful. It's not I've deliberately taken the wrong path. But if we are infants, verse 14, we'll be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. To, to be a baby Christian, to be an infant Christian and not growing up, is, is to basically lose the direction that the word of God gives us to lose the instruction that the word of God gives us. Remember, this is God's good gift to us in Jesus. And I think there's two parts of that. There's false teaching here, every wind of teaching. And then there is deceitful scheming, the cunning and craftiness of pe people in their deceitful scheming. So how do, how do we grow up? Two ways that we grow up as a church. Number one, we fight off false teaching. And we have to constantly be doing that. We live in a world where anything goes, where it doesn't really matter what you believe. And that pressure is always on us as Christians. So how do we grow up? We fight off false teaching. But let me su suggest some ways that we do that. Let me suggest some ways that false teaching can creep into a church, even a church as well taught and as clear on the gospel as this one. How does false teaching creep in? Let me suggest some ways. False teaching creeps in when we make secondary things primary. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, primary things are the things that are at the heart of the gospel. That Jesus is God, that Jesus came in human form, that Jesus died after living a perfect life. He died for me, that he rose from the grave in bodily form, that he ascended to the Father's right hand and that one, ha one day he is returning for me. It's kind of the heart of the gospel. Paul basically is de describing some of that back in the beginning of chapter four. Those are the primary things. Those are the things that you must believe to be saved, to be a Christian. But there are a lot of secondary things that the Bible talks about, not all of which are so clear. Christians sometimes disagree about them. Maybe they're, they're matters of conscience. And, and, a false teaching creeps in when we make those secondary things primary things. You've got to believe this, otherwise you're not a Christian. I'll give you an example. Some Christians believe you should baptise children. I don't. I believe you should baptise adults. I can have a, a good disagreement with a fellow Christian. You're still a Christian. When I make that primary, when I say you can't be a Christian unless you believe this, then false teaching starts to creep into the church. So making secondary things primary or making primary things secondary. You don't believe that Jesus came? You don't believe that Jesus died? Oh, well, never mind. Um, once you start going that way, false teaching creeps into the church. It can happen very subtly. Or, and perhaps this is more appropriate for us, failing to apply the gospel 
failing to apply the gospel to our lives. We're going to have a look in just a moment how Paul does that in Ephesians. When we fail to apply the gospel to our lives, that's a kind of false teaching. We say we believe something, but we're not living it out. The Bible calls that hypocrisy, not living according to the truth. All of those, I think, are examples of how false teaching might creep in. And it creeps in because people are cunning and crafty. It's interesting, this word here, deceitful scheming, occurs again in Ephesians. It occurs in chapter 6, very well-known verse. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This false teaching, this splitting apart of God's people, is always satanic. Always comes from the devil. But people sometimes say, well, what, what is Satan trying to do in the world? Well, here's the answer. He's trying to draw you away from anything that is God's purpose for you. And if God's purpose for you is to be together, being filled up together as a community of God's people, then Satan wants to drive you apart. So anything that does that, if it's not core to the gospel, actually is satanic. Now, you might think that's very strong language, but that is exactly what he wants. It comes from him. He's the father of lies. He's the father of deceit. You can see why the gifts that Jesus gives are so important. How do you know what's primary? How do you know what's secondary? How do you know how to apply the gospel? How do you know how to be together? Well, you listen to God's word. Hence, why the good gifts that Jesus gives to his church are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And therefore, our part in that, how do we grow up, is to listen to the Lord speaking through his word. We are a church, said the website, committed to the word of God. It's not enough to say on the website, though. We as people have got to be committed to that. That is how we will grow up. And if that's the way we'll grow up, that's the way we'll be filled with Jesus. That's the way his plan will be fulfilled. And, and I wonder if I can ask you this. It's not just about how do I grow up, is it? If we are together, it's about how do we grow up? If we are together, it's not just about sitting in your chair and saying, right, this morning, how am I going to grow up? How am I going to listen to the word of God? How am I going to respond to it? It's how is, how is that person next to me going to respond to it? How can I help them grow? How is the person behind me going to grow? How can I help them grow? Because if they're not growing, I'm not growing. If I'm not growing, they're not growing. It's together. Which brings us on to the second thing. How does the church build up? Instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Do you see, do you see how this is also a together thing? We, we will grow up. I, um, I had a very real experience when I was about 12, I guess, of losing the use of a body part. I'm a, I'm a very keen pianist, and um, I started playing the piano when I was six, and um, I was getting on quite well. And when I was 12, I fell over, just fell over and broke my right arm very, very badly, shattered 
bit to the bone. And I was in a cast for over 12 weeks, completely fixed, couldn't bend my arm, couldn't move my fingers, couldn't use my arm to play the piano and lots of other things. But specifically when I was 12, I was most concerned I couldn't play the piano, um, which had a number of it, um, impacts on me. First of all, I had to learn to play the piano just with one hand, which I think probably has impacted my piano technique for the rest of my life. It's very odd. And that's because I spent so many weeks just playing with my left hand. But it felt like something had been ripped away from me. I felt like something was, was missing. And, and that's how we should feel about church life. It, it's about growing up together. We need every part. From him, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We need every part in order to be able to build up. And we need every part to build up in this way, speaking the truth in love. Lovely little phrase, isn't it? Speaking the truth in love. I think most Christians know that little phrase, speaking the truth in love. But, but I wonder if we misunderstand it. We, we kind of think that speaking the truth in love is an excuse for saying, um, you know, difficult things to people. So there's someone who always comes and sits next to us in church and, and really they smell a bit. So we read this verse, speaking the truth in love, and we say to them, um, you know, Adrian, um, I'm glad that you come and sit next to me every week, but you do smell I'm saying this to you in love. So we just use it as an excuse to say difficult things, right? But that's not what the truth is in Ephesians. In Ephesians, the truth is, is not just telling the truth, it's telling the gospel. So we haven't got time to trace it all through. Chapter 1, verse 13, for example, the truth is the message of truth. Chapter 4, verse 21, similarly, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 9, it's the same idea. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Chapter 6, verse 14, what's the very first part of the armour that you put on? It is the belt of truth, which doesn't just mean telling the truth, it means telling the gospel. So speaking the truth in love is this. It, it's helping one another grow in the gospel. It's helping one another know what it means to live as a Christian. Doing that in a kind way, in a loving way, wanting the best for them. That's what it means in love. But it is helping one another grow up. It's building one another up. It's encouraging one another. It's saying to one another, when you hear about them, and they say, I've had a good week. You know, I've, 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 I think I've done well with my Bible reading and my prayer this week. Speaking the truth in love to them is saying, that's a great way to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus. Keep going. Or when someone says to you, I know I've had a really bad week. I've, I've struggled to read. I've struggled to pray. You say, I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm going to pray for you. Would it help if I met up with you? And we read together and we pray together. That is speaking the truth in love. That is bringing the gospel to bear on one another's lives. For, for what it's worth, that is what the rest of Ephesians is all about. The rest of Ephesians is how we speak the truth in love. So the rest of Ephesians is about how we get on together. It's about how we speak to one another. It's about how we work together in chapter 4 and chapter 5. It's about how we avoid sexual immorality in chapter 5. 
It, it's about how parents relate to children, about husbands relate to wives and wives relate to husbands. It's about how workers respond to bosses. It's about how all of us put on the armour of God. Chapter six, you want to know what speaking the truth in love is like? Just go home and read those last three chapters. You'll find out. That is what a gospel church is like. A truth church is like. It's building each other up. It's helping one another. Uh, there's a lovely phrase in 1 Peter, which, which I, I love to use. It's helping one another beautify the gospel, adorn the gospel, make the gospel look beautiful and attractive. That's what it means to build one another up. And, and that would mean our after-church conversation as, as we grab a coffee is going to be very different. It would mean the little text or, or WhatsApp that we send someone else in church that's going to be very different. It would mean our, our meetups are going to be very different because we want to build one another up. Because we know that is how we will be filled with Jesus in every way. Now, it might seem obvious, but friends, that means we have to get stuck in. We have to get stuck in. I wonder how you feel at church when someone else is missing. Do you know, when somebody's missing from church, I mean, obviously there are reasons why people are missing that have work commitments perhaps, or they're ill, or they're away. But I wonder when someone is missing whether you feel like a, a, a body part has been ripped off you. We should feel that way, shouldn't we? If, we, if together we are being built up in Christ. So it's a team sport. I, I remember, it's, it's Olympics this year. I do love the Olympics. And uh, the Olympics are in Paris this year. I remember the very first Olympics that we watched when we were married was in Barcelona. So you can work out when we were married. We were married in 1991, Barcelona Olympics from 1992. And when the Olympics were on, when the athletics were on, we were on a boating holiday, our first and last boating holiday. It was not a great success, I think it's fair to say. And we had a little tiny television. It was about this size. And it had one of those aerials that comes out of the top for picking up the signal, which wasn't very good where we were. And so we would moor up to watch the Olympics and we would kind of be banging the top of the television and moving the aerial around to try and get a little kind of better signal and be a grainy line but we, we managed a bit of the olympics didn't we? we we managed to see a bit of it but not much of it we managed to see a bit and and i love some of the track events i i love watching the 100 meters and i love watching the 110 meter hurdles a bit more technical but but those are not really comparable to the christian life they're just individual sports church being built up, growing up, is a team sport. And it's not even a team sport like football or handball or basketball, because if you lose a player, you can still play, right? It's more like a relay race. What happens in a relay race if only three of your four-man or four-woman team turn up disqualified? You can't do it. What happens if one of your team drops the baton? The whole team fails. What happens if everything comes beautifully together and the baton gets passed wonderfully and you get round? Then there's a roar from the crowd and you've got a good chance of winning a medal. So if you want, if you want a sport that is most like what church is like, it's the relay race. Every part grows and builds itself up in love. 
Each part does its work. That is the picture. What are you doing here today? Well, let me tell you what God is doing with you here. You might think that's a bit bold. This guy doesn't know us. He's, he's just kind of swanned in. Here he is telling us what church is all about. Now, I'm, I'm telling you what God's word says church is all about. So what does God intend? Maybe you are searching for the Lord's plan for you today. Well, here it is. Grow up, build up together so that you may be filled with all the fullness of Christ, all the fullness of Christ. That is the best thing in the world. And it's for his glory. It's to honour him. It displays his wisdom in the world. I, I did learn a little bit of German at school, so I'm going to have a go. As for those of you who are German, das ist erst, was Gott tut. Er baut seine Kirche zu seiner Ehre. It's what God's doing. He's building his church for his glory. And he invites, he welcomes, he loves you to be part of that. And whatever else you do today, and whatever else you do tomorrow, and the next day, nothing will compare to that. It's not what I think. It's not, that's just my experience of it. That's what God's word says. That is what he is doing in the universe. He is putting all things together under Christ. And this, us, we, we little group of Christians, we little band of people who are following Jesus. That's what we are doing today. Let's pray together. And let's just have a moment of quiet as we think about our part. Perhaps we ask God to just to prompt us who we might speak to this morning, who we might talk to this morning so that we can grow up together, so that we can build up together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are building your church and that even the gates of hell, even Satan's plans, cannot stand against it. And what a joy and privilege it is to be part of that work here in Santa Ponza today. Please will you fill us with joy and thankfulness and wonder and your Holy Spirit that we might truly grow up, avoid the devil's schemes, that we might really build one another up as each part does its work. Thank you for the gifts you've given to this church. Please may we appreciate them. Please may we use them. Please, Heavenly Father, may we be a church that displays Christ in all his wonder and glory and love and majesty. We can't do this on our own. We are dependent on you. So we ask for your help in the mighty name of our Saviour, who is the head of the church and who fills us. We pray in his name for his glory, to his glory. Amen.